0: I'm very excited for this episode um, Where the Colonel and Father McMurtry And uh, (laughs) Rupert McRupert All of them uh, All of them actually uh, Got uh, obliterated In an accident they uh impacted on an oh, antenna. No.
1: we're going to have to some more of milo's friends i have to say i'm incredibly grateful to the very able ambulance personnel in Harare, <laughs> who managed to save my life all i did was lose a leg and my penis but I am I am very much alive yeah. sir. Anyway, I'm here to guard this lingerie factory. <laughs> I
0: hope uh, now that I've lost my penis, I hope no one thinks I hope I wonder if anyone will think my increased estrogen makes me attractive anyway. I, I thought no one could love me again.
2: A wild Simon Man appears. But
0: then
1: I met Simon Man.
2: <laughs> so,
0: um welcome back to part What the man he was. <laughs> welcome back to part 2 uh, of this uh magnificent two-part special. On the coup attempt in Equatorial Guinea, a subject frequently discussed but infrequently explained on this TF, that podcast you're listening to right now. Bonus. Bonus um, episode. Uh, from TF, we have Riley and Milo. Uh, from Hell of a Way to Die, we have Nate Bethay, Uh, And also, we have um, from uh, Lions Led by Donkeys, we have Joe Kasabian. And uh, from Well, there's your problem. We have Alice Caldwell Kelly
3: <laughs> struggling to remember the name of my other podcast. There
0: from Well, there's your, your situation. <laughs> from uh, there's your problem. from uh, Yeah, you know what's uh, that all thing? From the, the thing, yeah, yeah. From Justin's friend, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah we from have, online, you <laughs> from know. The, uh, we have just you know, the, the girl who hangs out with Justin and Liam. That one, you know, you know. What's uh, what's her name? You know, the one I talk to like four times a week. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. So um, if you are joining us again, a quick recap. Um, These guys, uh, Simon Mann, Mark Thatcher, Well, Mark Thatcher puts in some money. Uh, He's a big idiot. Simon Mann, stone-eyed killer, flies with a bunch of friends uh, to Equatorial Guinea to try to take over the government, uh, fails immediately, gets arrested right away. And we are wondering why it failed. In our last episode, we looked at the personalities of the two highest profile guys involved, and Now we're going to look at some of these secondary players and investigate kind of what happened and what it all
1: means. Think of it as an English version of the Mum's basement podcast. <laughs> it,
0: it really it re- those guys would have been so much happier in an era of digital media where they could have just like just exercised mm. all their ambitions on the tech sector or whatever. Uh, instead, they had to do this
1: oh i'm mark thatcher and this is jackass uh we're taking over equatorial guinea uh <laughs> Wii man thinks he's being shot out of a cannon into a septic tank but he's actually being <laughs> shot into the presidential palace
3: <laughs> we're, we're shooting Wee man out of the super gun
0: so um
2: <laughs> let's, so, so, let's have become Shahid.
0: <laughs> so one of the things we don't know is uh who was who was behind all this Hmm. Who is though? what makes so Simon Mann works for money. He works for glory, but he also works for money. Hmm. And Mark Mark Thatcher is someone who put, who didn't, wasn't it's his big idea. Dumb
3: idiot who like drifts yeah. through life, in like introducing torturers to different torturers. Yeah,
0: he doesn't have ideas. So who had the idea? Now, Ellie Khalil. Uh, one of the main backers, but certainly not the only one. He's the most prominent name that appeared on a list of potential coup backers that was released uh, by the arrested coupies. Um, There were others with murky involvement as well, but think of Khalil as the guy that Jan Marsalek was trying to be.
3: Yeah, now, if you remember Jan Marsalek, he's the Wirecard guy <laughs> who got extremely arrested for trying to hire 15,000 Libyan militiamen to seem cool
1: yeah so um, except, didn't he disappear
0: <laughs> oh, he's, he's not arrested he's at
1: mm. large oh yeah shit. Sure.
3: He, he disappeared oh yeah because he's like cemented into another person he's fully
0: but, one of the world's most at large people mm. he's yeah like
3: Love extremely of my
2: local militia
3: extremely alive person Jan Marcelek like the, the vibe that he had was that he kept trying to like tell people that he knew FSB guys and like had secret dossiers and stuff. Uh, and was this kind of like international mover and shaker and power player and fixer between like various intelligence agencies and uh, like oil companies and things like that. That's this guy
0: now. what's interesting about Eli Khalil, however, is that Eli Khalil is the most competent of any person we're going to talk about in this entire yes. Thing. Yes, he is is
3: the one who made the fatal error, hiring English people. (laughs) Simon
0: Mann Mann was competent at one point, competent but scary, and then uh, became uh, farcical. Yeah, but this is why this is why
3: you don't hire English people, right, is because if you hire Rupert Murders, right, uh, okay, fine, he's very good at murdering, but the problem is, he will have a friend from school named Bunty, who is just, like, the biggest, dumbest
1: idiot in the world, who will ruin all of your shit. Shows up in cricket whites and begins inviting <laughs> everyone to play Soggy Biscuit on the Antonov.
0: So um, effectively, um, what's it, you, you have to understand the British as going through two puberties. At least two. Um, oh, they're trans. Yeah, mm. well, the, first, the, the At least two puberties. Uh, where the first puberty is where you become uh, competent and dangerous, if you become competent and dangerous. The second puberty is where you become farcical. Each British person embodies history in that way.
3: Yes, well, welcome to the 18th Brumaire of Louis Napoleon.
1: Um, which puberty are the trash you guys on? We'll find out.
2: So Every Englishman has two wolves fighting within themselves. Yes, yeah, right.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the wolves are wanting to kill people
3: and having a larger, stupider friend from school.
2: <laughs> so,
0: Eli <laughs> Khalil was a British-Lebanese-Nigerian oil billionaire who is frequently referred to by Simon Mann in court depositions and stuff as, quote, the boss.
1: Mm. Um... This yep. is now getting a Hideo Kojima-ass law. Uh, yeah,
0: uh, yes, if Hideo Kojima was... <laughs> Punished, ever- Simon. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it's uh, Khalil's uh, role in the attempted coup was said to be central. Uh, he alle- uh, This was alleged by the Equatorial Guinea government in the high court. The genesis of the plot lay in secret discussions in Madrid, in Severo Moto, where basically Khalil and Moto sort of decided together they were going to make a change in the government that would benefit Khalil, who was an oil billionaire. Um, yeah, see, again,
3: actual, actual, like, uh, mover in in these circles, right? Whereas Mark <laughs> Thatcher is just kind of, like, drifting idly through them, being like, oh, would you like to buy a helicopter?
0: <laughs> so, interviewed in 2008, however, Khalil denied the existence of a coup plot altogether, stating, quote, There was a scheme to fly Moto back and protect him while he was in country. Severo's belief was that if he was protected in his hometown and could remain alive for a few days, a political storm would occur that would simply sweep away the Obiang
1: regime. Breasted hmm. as Yeah. Rich with metaphor there.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and also, yeah, I think I like loath as I am to sort of trust uh, <laughs> Simon Mann's court testimony in Equatorial Guinea. Um, but. So it
3: being well, like, like, again, he doesn't actually have any reason to lie because yeah. it's entirely germane for like the kind of dude that Simon Mann is to be like, "Oh well, you know, fair's fair. Uh, it, it's a fair cop. Sometimes you you, you lose uh, a few wickets in the game yeah. of rugby.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you win some, you lose some, but if you're a posh English white man, you never actually lose any. <laughs> um, so basically, <laughs> I I kind of like it's like yeah, oh, there was a scheme to protect him while he was in country." Could this possibly
1: have been... How many grenades
3: did they have again? <laughs>
0: 150. Several hundred? Look, listen,
1: <laughs> people say we need to protect this black guy. Who are we going to hire? A bunch of angry white South Africans with guns. It makes <laughs> so, sense. So
0: the, uh, the, yeah, the, the, the plan was for all of the, um, the 3-2 battalion guys to spawn in the southwest corner of Equatorial Guinea
2: and then spam grenades across the map and they would glitch <laughs> into <laughs> the
0: presidential palace. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, the
2: Zimbabweans spawn camp like a bunch of assholes.
0: <laughs> they actually did uh,
2: So this is from an interview with Simon yes. Mann uh,
0: I was recruited by the boss Who told me about President Obiang His human rights abuses And how much oil he had And then suggested we do a coup
2: <laughs> wonder which one of those is more important <laughs> Yeah
0: <laughs> I thought well here's the weird thing Simon Mann then had like a brief Third or fourth career In like advocating for Liberal humanitarian interventionism And sort of cheerleading the war in Iraq Hmm. Cool (laughs) Amazing. Um, So he loves talking about how The right thing to do Sometimes the right thing to do Coincides
3: with hiring a bunch of mercenaries
0: Yeah so I thought it was a great idea I don't want to make excuses but I can explain a bit These things are easy with a blank sheet of paper But our plan gradually morphed over time Thanks to months of frustration and difficulty By the time the plan went ahead We had a shit plan No money and no time That's where we were when I was arrested in 2004 so that's him connecting Khalil to the ultimate arrest uh, in Harari, which is, yeah, it's his plan his money he said hey why don't you go coup this guy and then Simon Mann's like I was fucking waiting for someone to ask me to coup someone yeah also like
3: again as this kind of slavering psycho he has the most realistic appraisal of this like he's the one who actually knows what he's doing he's like yeah no it was was a terrible idea and we didn't really plan for it at all where Mark Thatcher is just like well that sounds like a nice time I'm sure it'll go perfectly
1: (laughs) to someone like like Simon Mann the (laughs) fact (laughs) that the plan is bad is almost part of the attraction Because it's it's the whole who dares Wins thing right like he wants to be Involved in like a Rourke's Drift Style like battle of the Braves so uh, Joe you were Saying
2: I said, imagine thinking, yes, I am the right side of history as you sit in a room surrounded by apartheid veterans.
0: Mm. Um,
3: yeah, SAS guys are totally like this, though. They'll be like, yeah, no, I-, I wanted to climb Everest, but it was a bit too commercial for me, so I cut off one of my own legs just to, like, add to the <laughs> challenge a bit.
1: No, (laughs) Simon, you don't understand. The plane needs to be that big because you need to divide it into two halves, okay? I'll explain it later. Again,
0: you're saying this is a joke, but this kind of actually did play out uh, in ways we'll get to towards the end. Uh, Interestingly, Ali Khalil was found dead in May 2018 after having having fallen down the stairs of his multi-million pound property in Holland Park, West London. A close friend said the tycoon, quote, broke his neck. Found uh, by his
1: long term friend, Nicholas Tartaglioni.
0: <laughs> he died exactly as happens. he lived with a broken neck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I
3: mean, tragically. Yeah. C- Seen. Gaznitsa Basnitsa. Seen uh, fleeing the scene. You know?
2: <laughs> Sorry, Joe. My, my school chum, fucking Mick blody took a picture on Instagram. I'm sure there's nothing to do with it. <laughs>
1: yeah. He so- was always jumping down the stairs at shouts. Hilarious guy. Honestly, <laughs> like if he could, that's how he would have wanted to have gone. Like fully. Honestly, when we were in J P J house, like oh, wow. always. On the bancs, like, he'd be there, you know, cucumber sticking out of his ass, and he'd say, lads, watch this, and he would just dive down the stairs and try and land awkwardly on his head. Classic guy,
2: honestly.
0: God, Shouse, you fucking killed me with that one. <laughs> Fuck me. This fucking country, I swear to fucking God. Yeah. Um, so, uh, anyway, he broke his neck, and I'm sure that the um, coup-plotting oil billionaire just... Happened by accident. Yeah. That's how Coup Stark was originally spelled. (laughs) So uh, our next character, uh, our second, our third to last character is the new labor government. Huh. Those guys. Those Those guys guys. have never been involved in a dodgy war. (laughs) Um, So a private intelligence report written for an oil company by one Mr. Johan Smith, who was also involved in the South African intelligence services, uh, claimed that Mr. Khalil had said that Peter Mandelson. Uh, had asked the government about its attitude towards a coup. How could Ali Khalil know Peter Mandelson? Well, how
1: would you feel about a coup?
0: <laughs> if, you, if you remember from the introduction of the first episode, Peter Mandelson was kicked out of his flat, uh, kicked out of his house because it turned out that he had taken an improper loan from a fellow minister. He then moved into a flat owned by Ellie Khalil, <laughs> who was his landlord.
1: Lovely chap. <laughs> so, had a very slippery staircase, as I recall. He's <laughs> always, always rubbing butter on the stairs. Very interesting individual. So,
0: in 2004, media reports quoted from a document in the hands of the South African authorities, which claimed the businessman and politician met privately weeks before the abortive coup. The report claimed, quote, Khalil says that Mandelson assured him that he would get no problems from the British government side and invited Mr. Khalil to come see him again, quote, if you need anything done. Now, Peter Mandelson insists that he never had a discussion about this alleged coup. I mean, we knew it was a coup at this point uh, with anyone. And what based on what we have to go on, we don't know if he in particular had foreknowledge. However, it is interesting uh that, that these claims were being made in these documents. Uh, and it is interesting that he happened to be living with Ellie Khalil. And it's interesting also That's to know when your
3: landlord asks like comes around is like, no, I won't fix the sink. Also,
0: can you help me invade a country? <laughs> um, and well we can't speak for Mandelson in particular, we do know for a fact that the Blair administration had foreknowledge of the coup.
3: Listen, if you don't help me do the coup, you're not getting the deposit back.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> went a to, to question in Parliament. When did the UK government know about the coup in Equatorial Guinea? And Jack Straw replied, in late January 2004. Uh, I mean... <laughs> 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 yeah, he replied, in late January 2004, admitting, uh, possibly accidentally or possibly not, that uh, the foreign... That, that Blair's foreign office under Jack Straw did in fact have foreknowledge of the coup by at least a few yeah. months.
3: Like I, th- that first bird strike plane was like
1: February of 2004,
3: right? Yeah. Yeah. So
1: before before even that Jack Straw is the coolest foreign secretary we've ever had because this is my favorite deep car about Jack Straw. Before this, in about 2000 or 2001, there was this whole media scandal where he got in trouble for being at some international diplomatic event where he shook Robert Mugabe's hand. And people were saying he shouldn't have shook Robert Mugabe's hand. And his defense to this was, it was dark. <laughs>
4: <laughs> you know what's, what's an even more fucked up thing about Jack Straw, though? Like, to give you, to, to paint a trajectory of what the British establishment does to people. uh. When Jack Straw was a university student in the very early 70s, he traveled to Chile as part of like a young socialist international thing to basically help do construction and build a community center in support of the Allende government. And by 2003 huh. he was like, "Hell yeah, let's fucking invade Iraq." Like in a way, it's it's a tragic figure, but I have no sympathy for him. Like, at one point, he wasn't a horrible piece of shit, but the, the, the decades 1970 through 2000 basically did that. And that's, that's what you have to yeah. become to have any semblance of power in the United Kingdom. It's sort of like... But the- he was going to change it from the inside.
3: That's why he had to, like, sign off on deporting people to go get tortured in Libya. Was so G- he could not do that. I mean, here Strawmer. <laughs> Basically, um, Jack,
4: Stra- Jack uh, Straw's political career is like the a mere image of Christopher Hitchens. Like he would be like, oh, stop the socialism thing, and just be like, yes, whatever war you want to pursue is actually moral, and everyone will love you.
0: Also, to be clear, it's unlikely that Mandelson would have tipped off Straw because there is a far more, I'd say, there's a far more reasonable, believable story about how Straw would have known. But I think the Mandelson thing is very is very interesting
3: it's very funny to have your like landlord just do a coup yeah like definitely. that's not something most landlords have the energy to do
0: well it it, it speaks oh, to yeah, they don't work. it yeah. speaks to Britain as a particularly class cocked country that mm. the foreign secretary can be pressure allegedly like asked for pol- geopolitical favors by his landlord
4: yeah.
0: <laughs> Um, so here's another another character, Margaret Thatcher. The uh-huh. following is an unpublished bit of Simon Mann's memoir about the following event, where the former prime minister, allegedly according to this memoir, told Mann at a meeting at her Belgravia home, I'm sure it's going to work. Maggie <laughs> asks me how their, hers and Mark's, money is being handled. I reassure her that it's going through an air ambulance joint venture separate to any other investment. Maggie compares it to the Docklands redevelopment in London. How everything had to be raised to the ground first before it
3: could be improved. You know, mm. it's it's always nice to be reminded of just how evil she was before her brain went. Mm. Um, like, And how late that that happened. Like that in 2004, as late as 2004, she's like, well, sometimes you gotta burn down a thing. It's fine.
2: Mm. Yeah. Accelerationist Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um...
0: So Thatcher is also, uh, said to have asked whether a man had yet met a group led by a man called Sanchos who were seeking to remove Hugo Chavez from Venezuela. Hey, all of
3: the- just, like, having a, like, uh, this is my coup Thursday, I have my coup guys blocked out an appointment. (laughs) Um... Man writes the, 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 These guys want to shoot him with some kind of a cancer gun Well <laughs> seems weird to me to go off mm.
0: uh, Man writes Just
2: Eric Prince in the waiting room Like looking over his Venezuela file And <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, just reading a time magazine uh, Man continues No I hadn't but Mark says we're seeing him The next day in the house in Eaton place Just next door He continue, continues with Thatcher's reply Good well I hope that goes well too She looked at me with her imperial gaze we must always look after our friends, Simon.
1: As I'm sure you know, mm. that doesn't sound mysterious at all. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like the sort of thing an evil villain would say. No, absolutely
3: not. Um, wow. Okay. Yes, and, and remember to pick up a wayfair uh, like wardrobe on
1: your way out. Is it weird that I could just imagine her breastfeeding him as this conversation is going on? I, I recommend on the Wayfair I hear
0: she website.
1: Still does. I recommend on the Wayfair website the Cabinet Sandra. It's only $50,000. <laughs> um, well, I just, why does she
4: sound so like the queen this whole conversation
1: uh, it's machine
4: <laughs> um, yeah, once I, again I mean... the
2: Riley accent machine
3: encodes
2: <laughs> <laughs> Margaret Thatcher and comes out with... are, are we sure this entire meeting didn't take place at a sex party of some kind Yeah, I, mean, just,
3: uh, I met her at the Elm guest house uh, didn't look into any of the rooms but like <laughs> I'm sure it was normal
0: Margaret come back it's in here and screw my
1: penis buddies. back on
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, also it's like you know I, 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 like SW1X is a is a sex party. All of SW1X is a sex party.
1: SW1XXX.
0: Yeah, that's, that's why they yeah. call it that. sw one xxx Shut the shut the fuck up all of you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, none of this, none of this out of you. Fell down the
1: stairs so I hear.
0: Yeah. So, um, so basically, he has support from literally Chiefs have support from everybody in Britain. From the money to both sides of the politics, or at least if not the support of New Labour, then New Labour like knew about it and didn't do anything. And that's when they
1: had a meeting with the most powerful man in all of Bermondsey. <laughs>
0: and then um, and then the, they, had, they, had, they had basically everything they could possibly have wanted, except for the fact that all of the powers arrayed to support them were deeply decayed and impotent. Mm. Yeah just absolutely Sclerotic
3: vibes
4: mm.
0: um, And so Then you have to remember the soldiers Themselves many of them old 3-2 Battalion which was kind of a mix uh, of, of the old to sort of new PMC eras uh, so I think uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alice Joe and Nate you, you know more About this than I do
3: Yeah, well, it was kind of like (sighs) Three Superstition was a a bit of the South African Defence Forces that was uh, like originally conceived to do um, uh, well war crimes against the communists in Angola, and then uh, counter insurgency avant la lettre in Namibia, Uh, and, and so you have kind of like this divide between it's like. The last hurrah of this, uh, like, generation of mercenaries of, like, ex-South African, ex-Rhodesian little shorts guys. Um, and the new, sort of, what would become the war on terror special forces, like, uh, listens to drowning pool, tribal tattoos, gears of war headbangers.
0: Um Yeah, Gaz Baz and Donald McDonald. Yeah, so, uh, Joe, what's, what? how can you, the, the soldiers themselves, right, we talked about the companies. But who are many of the actual like boots on the ground guys, not the top level Simon Manns and funders, but who are like the actual guys carrying the too many machine guns for a company?
2: So a lot of the guys uh, were uh, veterans of the Rhodesian Bush War and the uh, the various South African Bush Wars. And a lot of them were volunteers from like the Commonwealth, like Canada, uh, the US not Commonwealth await a lot of American volunteers as well. Uh, which le- which leads into like a hilarious scene of Rhodesian military recruiters waiting outside of bars when Vietnam veterans came back and trying to lure them back into the military. Um, but like uh, a lot of Rhodesian members a lot of Rhodesian uh, foreign volunteer veterans were like members of like the British National Front or like. Oh, the, I wonder why uh, they'd be
1: interested the, in that.
2: The... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and there, there, there were several legit neo Nazis from like Minnesota who ended up in Rhodesia. Uh, one of whom is buried there. Oh, yeah.
1: uh, I sure do and... love Rhodesia. <laughs>
2: It was like the National Socialist White People's Party had like a huge content. Like if you name your party National Socialist, you don't have to add the White People part. We know the ancient society
1: Um, of only white people.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but the
0: the weird thing is, I think it's that this the the actual company in this case that undertook this coup attempt was actually uh, correct me if I'm wrong was relatively multiracial. Like, but it was that a lot of the guys who were the foot soldiers were uh, were like Black South Africans. And a lot of the guys with the officers were white South Africans and English.
2: That's my understanding. Well, that is uh, the, the, the white officers, black soldiers thing is incredibly. Well, it, that was just how those militaries were ran all the way until apartheid ended, mm. um, especially in Rhodesia. Yeah, R- Rhodesia
3: is a whole episode in itself that we've yeah. got to do at yeah. some point.
2: But yeah, it was definitely the the relationship that those kind of white people are comfortable with, mm. uh, in, in the worst way possible. Like hazing was like horrific, and like uh, the white uh, officers would beat this shit out of the black soldiers, and yeah, and the Englishmen are probably just round the milk racists.
1: I mean, I'm sure it's not what happened, but it's very funny to imagine them deliberately doing, like, identity for superficial identity politics on their coup attempt. Like, just, like, g- gather together a bunch of white soldiers and the side the man's like, oh, guys, I've got, got a bit of an optics problem here. I mean, we're trying to do a coup in an African country. A bit, we're looking a bit white here. Come on, so can just, we get some... Just so- someone whose job is staff
0: writer being like, uh, maybe the <laughs> problem is that there were no women in the coup. Yeah, yeah that's right.
2: Getting <laughs> in Lin-Manuel Miranda to cast your coup. <laughs> <laughs> the coup's equal opportunity advisors like guys there's enough diversity in this coup
0: so let's get to this question right how on earth could this crack team of savvy personnel who definitely weren't re- re- representing just the most sclerotic and decrepit just tumble down uh interests imaginable have failed mm-hmm. so um Adam Roberts, author of, because this was called The Wonga Coup, because Wonga is slang for money. It's not to do with the payday lender. That
1: would be very funny. James Ball having to come out in defense of the coup (laughs) in Equatorial Guinea. um, (laughs) Just remember the most specific stuff. Oh, I do. Um,
0: So um, Adam Roberts, author of The Wonga Coup, uh, says that the group was infiltrated and compromised from the outset because, quote, but how could this be? (laughs) People were loose-tongued. They were talking about it and constantly boasting about it in bars uh, a a long time before they set off. They would sit around... Silver Corp, nothing new. (laughs) They would sit around in restaurants in Johannesburg. They'd sit in hotel foyers. They would basically boast to whoever would listen about what they were going to do. And some of the people who I interviewed in the research for the book, who've been approached to take part in this plot, told me that they turned down the opportunity because they felt the whole thing had been organized and a very careless way which i find very interesting because again this goes back to simon mann is is sort of a a terrifying person but not stupid you know and this kind of a mercenary is not stupid they knew this was a bad plan Mm -hmm. and i think what this indicates is like in 2004 the global war on terror was kind of starting and that was the end of this kind of mercenary having the run of africa it's so like the coup yeah. business had fundamentally changed, and again, That's I want exactly to throw right. I, I want to throw back to Joe for an understanding of like how sort of you might say like white label regime change was a, a replaced with name brand regime change.
2: That's actually a really good way of putting it. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's like uh, all these gangs of like South African mercenaries and Rhodesian mercenaries and uh, you know Commonwealth volunteers sprinkled throughout was definitely like a pre uh, global war on terror thing because there wasn't a ton of money in it. Like there was, but you also had to like run an illegal diamond mine as a side hustle in order to like get any liquid cash from it. Mm. Whereas now like you can just be Dinecore or fucking Silvercore or whatever iteration Blackwater's calling itself now. Corellis. And it, is it really? What? Oh, all right. Yeah. Uh, I'm it not sure it, how it many, merged, how it it merged it. with
3: it. Well, it, beca- it was Blackwater and then it became XE and then it became Academy and then it merged with Triple Canopy and now
1: it's Corellis. Yeah, brief brief stint as no war crimes here incorporated.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like you now, they can go in and uh, talk directly with like foreign ministers or sometimes heads of state, depending on how small and desperate the country is, and just uh, this is our price. you you pay us up front like cash or whatever though uh wagner group out of russia is working for like oil profits in syria and shit uh so like there's still like the exploitation of mineral wealth but a lot of it's more like liquid cash because it's easier to move around and now you know we've been uh the, the united states has been at war for what 20 plus years and the idea of outsourcing your labor to these like professional war crimes committers is considered completely acceptable and legitimate because they work for every big com- like country in NATO. Mm. And th-
3: these kind of deniable like especially the South African and the Rhodesian ones, like they were getting old by this point. Uh Yo, a, even, lot of, a lot of them were kind of like stuck in Johannesburg and like I feel like a lot of people. Yeah well kind of. Yeah genuinely I feel like a lot of people, of mid- like a lot of people uh, who like were otherwise sensible war crimes doers otherwise sensible mercenaries signed up with uh, a like a doomed operation headed up by fucking you know money man Ralph Wickham because there was fuck all else mm. you know mm.
0: and that's the thing don't forget
2: these and were in the same like these guys uh, were like in the same uh, cycle of, of of labor like you know at the end of all the bush wars in Africa you had a plethora of veterans who had no job And they could link up with some fucking idiot fail son and be like, yeah, we'll give you fucking raw diamonds or whatever if you help us in a coup. And now you have like hundreds of thousands of people who uh, probably had a, a whole lot of fun doing awful shit. And they don't get their sweet government paycheck anymore to do it. So, like, you can go work for fucking Corellus or whatever mm. and make like, $800 a day.
3: Well, I mean, I'm excited for, like, the way that that degrades, too, in time. And we find that those guys, the global war on terror guys, when they're getting just about too old to be doing this anymore, get their kind of last hurrah with a job that they really know better than to accept. And they try to fucking coup Belgium or something.
1: <laughs> well, the thing is,
0: right, this is... If we think that this was kind of a Cold War holdover when like deniability was necessary and useful, because if you wanted to do a coup, there was all you needed to do these coups. You needed to like secure mineral wealth or whatever. Got but also, 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 there were two superpowers that had nukes pointed to each other constantly. And so you needed to be able to convincingly say we had no involvement in that. So these mm. private mili- these white label private military companies were useful whereas you know foreign policy after 911 is just it's 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 become overt because part of part of doing a coup against like against Maduro isn't is actually in not using silvercore that was like that's cuz the silvercore thing camp as it should not be understood as every time someone's like oh this is so 2020 no wrong it is very it was 1997 throwback. it's a throwback and it because- was
3: like self-generated uh, which is like weird and pathetic like I- in Africa, too, if if Macron wants to change the president of Mali, then you just have a bunch of French paratroopers drive uh, like a, a, an armored car up and down. And then it happens,
0: you know, because um, there is there is no Soviet Union who is going to take exception nuclearly. To oh. you doing this yourself. Well, that, that's so,
3: why even in Syria you have like uh, like US MRAPS and the, the like Russian Russian armored
0: vehicles just like doing fast and furious shit with each other because no one cares enough yeah. anymore. It's like Juan Guaido can just be recognized by the West as the legitimate leader of Venezuela. Then then you know then they just have to and it's basically just are, are,
1: when are you going to choose to just put him in. The irony is, right, that Simon Mann's South African guys were perfectly adapted to the new world of overt shit. They were making the covert thing over by accident. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, j- I'm, like high on just imagining, like, Yerk van der Klerk in the foyer of, like, some hotel in Johannesburg chatting up a woman half his age going, like, yeah, yeah, seriously, this cute's gonna be great, okay? Like, the only thing that could stop us now is a large bird at exactly these <laughs> coordinates at exactly this
2: time. <laughs>
4: I mean, in the grand that's scheme of the thing things, in the grand scheme of things, it really does remind me the the Silver Corp thing just seems like a weird echo of it, in the sense that it's yeah. it's a uh, something that's notionally a foreign policy goal of you know let's say the host nation if you want to call them that and in you think about the uh, the UK under Blair or the international oil consortium wanting fucking access to Equatorial Guinea's market or in the U.S.'s case Trump wanting to oust Maduro uh and and so in a way like there were enough people making approving noises that this thing snowballed and it's hilarious but also it's one of those situ- those situations where you're like surely someone somewhere involved must have known this is going to be a fucking disaster and yet they still got on that plane
2: yeah, and, and like people said that like, oh, the Silvercore guys are so stupid because they're posting about shit on Instagram, which I mean, admittedly, yeah, they're dumb as shit. But like Simon Mann would have absolutely done the same oh, hands down, yes. thing. Mm. But, oh he he posts yeah, a lot. The only now. difference is he was spitting he was he was like spitting game at a bar in like Johannesburg talking about how cool this coup is gonna be while Silvercore was like Hashtag fucking where we go one we go all lol let's up a goddamn
4: Mayan pyramid with an American flag tied to your rucksack yeah same energy but just yeah. different manifestation <laughs> silvercore making a montage of them preparing
1: for their coup set to till I collapse by Eminem <laughs> 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 um,
4: that's the thing, right,
0: is that these is that these guys all just got nationalized that's why silvercore is so weird damn woke shit um yeah yeah but that's mm. the thing, the the private the war dogs industry. Became went from being soldiers of fortune or whatever to just boring government contractors. That's the difference.
4: Well, one thing to bear in mind, though, Riley, that I I do think is important is that uh, with regard to the US and the UK, the unpopularity of the Iraq war and the realization that it was going to drag on really served as an impetus to private military contractor everything. And as a result, like I do think that the resurgence of this dumb shit is it's not a it's less a continuation of what was going on in sub-Saharan Africa in the '90s and the early 2000s as much as it's a kind of like a, an injection of of money and energy into this because how do you achieve shareholder value when it's massively unpopular in the countries whose volunteer military forces have to get deployed like you just pay you know captain and or staff sergeant retired dick nuts. SAS slash Green Beret guy $800 a day to potentially go get killed doing it. And then you have plausible deniability. But I really do think that I'm looking at 2003, 2004. I mean, maybe there's a through line with regard to the Iraq war, but certainly like the more recent manifestations of this is you can see how Iraq, the unpopularity of Iraq and the fact they just did it anyway became the impetus for turning on the money hose and not you know rolling them up into the government but rather privatizing things further making doing as much as you possibly can so that the entire war effort or whatever the mission is the purview of the private sector so that as few actual national forces have to be deployed as possible and thus yeah so,
3: pe- perhaps it's, perhaps it's not accurate to call it nationalization or more professionalization yeah, yeah, yeah. See, or well, like regularization
4: secure, securitization how, how I, because now this is how how I how I think about it, right,
0: is that I don't so much think that these guys got nationalized, in as much they were run for the benefit of the public directly by the state, so much as, and I get this concept is explored by um, uh, 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 Michael Hart and Antonio Neri in their book Empire. Um, they got they got blobbed. They got yeah. consumed by the gelatinous well, it's, cube. It's a, the, the empire, as they understand it is a combination of the US, the UK, NATO, the IMF, the WTO, the multinational, multinational corporations, et cetera, et cetera. These things that always seem to work together to perpetuate their own interests and against Durham University, (laughs) against which dissent is criminal. (laughs) And it is essentially the empire as understood by them maintaining their monopoly on the legitimate use of force globally, bringing in these slightly rogue elements into a much more controlled environment.
3: Yeah, as opposed to just having, like, a guy who sits around in a big safari suit all the
1: time and periodically shoots someone. Yeah, that's and too that's too chaotic. And that's him, uh, why Dave Courtney wasn't allowed to have control over that many flat-nosed geezers. <laughs> it became too much of a threat to the establishment.
2: Um, I think we saw, like, the interweaving of those things. I think it was, like, in 2004 as well, like, when the Blackwater contractors who were, like, you know, like we talked about were... Hired, so you could throw soldier adjacent people into these roles and not risk actual soldiers, and like the bad p i comes in we got uh, drove through Fallujah and got fucking set on fire and hung up in the middle of the street, which then uh precipitated a giant mil- u s military offensive using that as the reasoning, so like that at that point they're almost inseparable
0: mm. it's it is a paper distinction um but anyway so this but this is This is, if you want to, I think this is kind of how, at least how I understand why this happened is like, this is a changing world. And these are old guys who don't have a place in it anymore, who wanted one more crack at thrills. It's the film, The Flight of the Wild Geese. (laughs) Or it's it's the film, Wild Hogs. (laughs) 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 On on December 7th, 2004, two warnings were sent to British intelligence by Johan Smith, a South African security expert working for Equatorial Guinea. And Michael Westfall, a senior colleague of former Secretary of Defense <laughs> Donald Rumsfeld.
3: It, 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 kind of like the joke about the space race, about our Germans being better than their Germans. Yeah. Our, form, our former apartheid spooks were better than their former
0: apartheid <laughs> spooks. Was also warned of the plot at the same time. And the other funny thing is, a lot of the other intelligence was private intelligence uh, gotten uh, made collected by oil companies, so I've reviewed the transcript of Simon Mann's Chatham House appearance, as I said, and he had this to say about intelligence community foreknowledge. The reason I was very certain that they did in fact know happened about two weeks before Christmas 2003, when we had intercepted a report from Johan Smith, a South African private spook whose reports, although they were addressed to his oil company employers, undoubtedly went to both America and the UK, without a doubt, and many people have confirmed that. Smith later commented, Ah, uh, this is now no longer um this this is no longer a uh, uh, man. This is now some quotes I've found from Smith later commented quote, "I was continuing to work in Equatorial Guinea with the government. It was not in my interest uh, that there be a coup d'etat. I therefore wanted to warn the Equatorial Guinea authorities. I also considered it in my duty to warn the authorities in the u s and England because some of their nationals might be killed. So the significant thing here, I think also is that not in 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 Cape Town, right. Uh, there are guys sitting around um, who work for every intelligence agency and also every oil company. <laughs> yeah, of course. And why why wouldn't that be? But this goes back to what um, uh, Quantian was talking to us about on, the, on our Tesla episode, right? All of these entities, there are more intelligence agencies operating in the world than you could possibly know about. You only know about the official ones that work for governments there are many 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 more that work for all the oil companies whose work always flows through the governments and where the government's work usually flows back to them
3: yeah and it's kind of like the reason why this falls apart is because as as a coup it's kind of like this tension between the old sclerotic elements of like oh we're just going to do some empire we're going to do some adventurism and the empire yeah and, and the the like modern oil, foreign policy bluff So you get some ins with some government, possibly, and they make some approving noises, and then all of a sudden uh, this lurches back onto the corporate side and you go, well, hold on a second. I don't think so. We actually have quite a good relationship with this guy, and we don't need some fucking SAS psycho coming in and shooting him in the brain pan to, like, slightly lower our prices, right? Um, it- it's It's like... The, the image that I come up with is that it's like Vegas, right? The flashy mob
4: guys get their last round. Then they just get bought out by Viacom, right? Well, there's a thing, too, is that makes me laugh, <laughs> is that when you think about... I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist, but more to say that they're obviously... You know, the end result of the Iraq war was Iraq's nationalized oil industry was privatized, and private companies basically stood to benefit from... Extracting Iraq's oil wealth, and you know the oil wealth is primarily con- concentrated in the south and in the north of the country. So you know there's a reason why the British army took Basra, and why the U.S. basically you know concentrated a significant amount of forces in places like uh, you know everywhere from Tikrit to Kirkuk to Iraqi Kurdistan. And there was a new in this regard, a new uh, bump in the oil supply as a result of Iraq. So, in a way, when you think of the timing of this coup, in the grand scheme of things, I wonder was it even really all that necessary? Did the oil companies really stand to benefit that much? Did this really have any purpose besides it being a fucking adventure for these guys? No, it didn't. Because
0: all of these oil companies, we said earlier that um, Obiang was like a tough negotiator. Like, he was still, his negotiation platform was going from like, 85% 85% of revenue for the oil companies to, to trying to like get them down to like 82%. They didn't care. And also, they, if the oil companies decide to replace Obiang, that's like something that could be done in an afternoon. Equatorial Guinea has no army. And the thing is, if, even if Simon Mann and, and Mark Thatcher and Eli Khalil or whatever could have arranged for a slightly more compliant leader, is that worth the hassle? Is it worth
3: possibly like blowing up an oil refinery or like killing a bunch of functionaries? Probably
0: not. Yeah, it was the U.S. oil companies already held the interest in Equatorial Guinea. It wasn't even like properly nationalized. It was deeply corrupt and used to like, you know, buy like like a a mansion on top of the Eiffel Tower for uh, Obiang's idiot son, who we'll talk about later. Right.
2: That sounds like something they'd be totally into. But
0: But they don't care. They're still getting the oil. You know, it's it, there is there, the only people who actually stand to benefit from, like, any of this
1: is the people who are having fun doing it. Okay, I'm very excited for the concept of, like, a huge Domus Aurea, like, precariously balanced <laughs> on top of the Eiffel Tower. So, like, all of the furniture has to be, like, evenly weight distributed across the like That's right. Yeah, you have guys for that. Anyway, so, like,
0: and the other thing, right, is that South African intel- intelligence at this point was pretty, like, shambolic. Um and so the the belief here is just that the CIA basically was like wait this coup's wait this coup's happening fuck off no no way <laughs> do not do that and because it's like because there was no business plan to get really get the oil wealth like like man was going to be paid in concessions to it but like and like Khalil might have been able to get in and get some of it but like there was no big structural Planned, like integrated into no, the global it's, supply it's chain. It's
3: not Venezuela and it's certainly not Iraq, right? It's a it's a minor sort of like reshuffling that it, it really isn't worth, uh, I, I don't know, a, a bunch of flat nosed geezers throwing grenades at people.
1: Thing, yeah. like- Eli, listen, we've hit a bit of a snag with the oil thing in Equatorial Guinea. I'm just looking at the schematics now, and uh, all the oil is at the bottom of a really long staircase.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, I think
0: you,
1: like, the best thing to understand here, right, is that
0: Obiang is not to be understood as the you know ruler of a country. He's to be understood as an employee of Chevron. And there's very little that Moto could have done to give the U.S. oil companies a better deal than they could have just got by telling him, you know? Mm. But that, that that raises this other question where if I'm like if I'm Jack Straw and I know this is going to happen in January or if if the Peter Mandelson story is true which we have no way of knowing um why like why is the no new labor of knowing. why is the new labor <laughs> establishment sort of either if the Peter Mandelson story is true encouraging of this or at least we know because Jack Straw said he knew about it sort of passively allowing it to happen
1: they just want to embarrass Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> do you reckon that's what it is? <laughs> They're just like, no way is this going to work. But Marky Boy is going to get in trouble.
3: <laughs> I mean, maybe, launching
0: a coup to own Thatcher. But like, also.
3: That it's would like, be objectively too cool for New Labor. Yeah.
0: It's like, well, I think, I mean, we talked about this last night, Alice. We're just like, yeah, I don't know. An, it, an old Etonian, then their landlord said to do it. So New Labor was just like, yeah, fine. Do whatever you want.
3: Yeah, I, I, I don't think New Labour's foreign policy after Robert Cook was that particularly invested in or aware of Equatorial Guinea, but I think they were very aware of Mark Thatcher, and I think they were just like, oh, eh, sure, whatever.
0: Yeah, they they were aware of Ellie Khalil, they were aware of Mark Thatcher. Well, they're very aware of Ellie Khalil, he's one of their landlords. They're very aware of Mark Thatcher. Very nice chap, very buttery staircase. He's, he's a in it. Um <laughs> they're aware of simon Mann. like they know all about executive outcomes and stuff like they, they think that this is kind of cool i think and again, i think this is a, a shades of the suez like if this if empire was tragedy and the suez was farce like i, I don't know what this is this is the christmas special farce too <laughs> this is this is just something much more sort of this is parody this is scary movie at this point hmm
1: not even um, scary. Movie finally, one. a role
0: for Anna Faris. <laughs> <laughs> mm. um, and so that, that's what I what I was talking about when I was saying this is just a story about failure and about mm. p- about about just a tremendous lack of self understanding and the sort of tra- this is this plays out like a tragedy. It's just that none of the characters know that they're comic characters as well, but it has the structure of a tragedy. Mm. Um, is they, they have this flaw that that they don't address that brings them their downfall. But again, there's no gravitas. Yeah,
3: yeah. It, it, right. it's like reading um the Quiet American, but if there's a gas leak in your room.
2: <laughs>
1: so um, like so many Greek tragic <laughs> figures brought down by a bird.
0: <laughs> so uh, yeah, dropped the turtle right on his head. Mm. So let's uh let's talk about the aftermath. Uh, where yeah, are they now? We're doing an Animal House style credit sequence. Uh, Mark Thatcher was given a five year Suspended sentence in South Africa For his involvement in the coup He mostly spends his time now relaxing in Marbella uh, He was divorced
3: <laughs> Neighbors with Dave Courtney yeah. <laughs> he, he was divorced With his
0: ex-wife Diane now, he, sat, he spent some time in Marbella He keeps trying to move places but his conviction From being involved in this coup has made it impossible For him to get a visa anywhere oh. After, He was divorced by his ex-wife Diane who said I think he was incredibly selfish putting his needs for self-fulfillment, greed, and lust for power before his family. But mostly I feel sorry for him. It's as though he was given one of the best seats at the banquet of life, and he's blown it. Is he going to be a father's for Justice guy now? I think he already is. Um, Hey, let's find out. Uh, documents about uh, thatcher's career as a shady university salesman were supposed to be released under the uk's 30 I've year sold universities
1: <laughs> to brockway were supposed, <laughs> to, we're
0: supposed to be released under the uk's 30-year <laughs> document release rule but in 2016 the government in a decision spearheaded by margaret thatcher's former uh, permanent secretary decided to retain them for fear of embarrassment
4: hmm. national um,
1: security baby yep uh, it's cool that they can just do that yeah Oh yeah, you don't have... Yo, like, you, there's a rule, but like, nah. No. We don't feel
0: like it, actually. <laughs>
4: um,
1: Simon
0: Mann and uh, Nick Dutwatt were both held in notorious Black Beach prison in Equatorial Guinea. Mann was originally held in Harare, but was then extradited. Uh, Man was considered a star prisoner and was rewarded for naming those who allegedly masterminded the attempted coup, among others. (laughs) Prison's first 15. (laughs) As among others. (laughs) Khalil. He was a prefect at the prison. (laughs) He was uh, was sent special food, including steak, which was couriered to him from a hotel, and he had a bottle of Rioja every lunchtime. Just uh, fucking
3: everything! Public school never stops, does it? It just kind of
0: keeps going <laughs> and you can, you, accumulating uh, you can to
4: create golf jail, even in Equatorial Guinea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he was given Dickens for bedtime reading, and when unshackled, rode an exercise bike. Many MPs wrote about his predicament and stressed the diplomatic importance of setting him free. One such article was entitled "Why the World Needs Men Such as Simon Mann," which was written in 2004 for the Times by one Michael Gove. Cool. Huh. Oh, After God. his release in 2009 on Humanitarian Grounds, man bought a fancy house in London, and then his main job when it, upon release was advising, I'm not kidding, President
1: Obiang about protecting him from coups. Oh, they, <laughs> they've resolved their differences. They've become friends. The real coup was literally <laughs> like the friends won. we made along the way. Yeah.
3: Poacher turned gamekeeper. You love to see it.
0: <laughs> Most recently, he mm. testified on behalf of Obiang's idiot son in a corruption trial in France, Claiming that George Soros was falsely accusing the sun and was intent doing so intending to destabilize Equatorial Guinea so he could take it over. Okay, so he's now a
1: QAnon guy, like when, on top of all of it.
0: When man was asked if he put because Q When man was asked if he could prove this in court, he said no. <laughs> <laughs> Off in the way with the, with the Soros shit, isn't it? <laughs>
2: hey, you gotta give him credit for admitting defeat. Most people that start spouting that shit are like, Well, that's what they want you to think. He was like, Well this, avid, this tactic
0: clearly didn't work. You've <laughs> oh, got, like, millions of
1: dollars for a defense thing for, like, you know, the son of an African dictator. Do you think you could call this thing a bit more imaginative than George Soros? Like, surely.
0: Who can say? Hmm.
1: Apparently not.
0: Simon Mann, um, who's on Twitter and LinkedIn, by the way, I insist you check him out. Indo- endorse him for coups. <laughs> no, don't do that. Um, now makes his money working as an after-dinner speaker and a life coach. <laughs> life
2: coach? <laughs> Uh, Did Silvercore hire him to be a life coach? That'd be fucking outstanding. Uh he is when I'm when Nothing I'm trying to country, me.
1: I'm getting up at four o'clock in the morning and listening to three audiobooks because you can't waste time if you want to overturn an African dictatorship. <laughs> Nothing so, motivates
3: me as much as a bunch of former Rhodesian army guys. Abseiling through my windows at 3 a.m. and letting off flashbangs and shit. But
1: <laughs> well, they're all like 70 now.
2: Those yeah. could also just be American <laughs> cops. Yes. So, um, a lot
0: of a lot of his business is like, uh, is like get advice from Simon Mann and so on. But I don't think he really understands how influence peddling works, and so ultimately he'll never be as good at it as Mark Thatcher because who was good at it by accident? Yeah, yeah. Who was good at it because? He literally was the dumbest person in the world who was made un- who could not fail because his mother was so devoted to the uh, force of the market. Um, Simon Mann's wife Amanda is an artisanal cookie maker and Amanda sells a man and, and sells cookies on TikTok under the handle Man Cookies. The TikTok account has worked.
1: the man TikTok cookies. account
0: has thirteen followers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nick Dutot now works as a used car salesman in Yemen.
2: What? <laughs> what the fuck? That's like the third job that every Armenian fail-son gets after getting fired from the mall kiosk that this family owns. Yeah. I'm sorry, but- I have to go fucking sell used cars in Yemen.
1: This is like, this is like deeply curb your enthusiasm level shit. Like, selling used cars in Yemen, just like every time he's about to close a sale, a drone just like takes it out. <laughs> like, honestly, this yeah. is a wonderful Camry.
2: <laughs> Milo. Welcome to Sana toyota <laughs> I,
0: I hate to burst your bubble. I think he might be undertaking... I don't think... I think he might be having some side activities on his social life as well as doing used car sales in Yemen. This former mercenary who lives in Yemen selling cars. Mm. Um, the old dogs-of-war business in general um, is now represented by the International Stability Operations Association, which, which describes <sighs> itself oh, as the only worldwide association representing the stability sector, formerly called the peace sector. It used to be called the International Peace Operations Association. Exclusively. They that was a bit too much of a piss take, <laughs> so
1: they went with the stability
2: sector. <laughs> um, do, do, do regime change people now have a union? Yes. Is that what's happening? It's more, of a, it's more of a guild. It's more of a
0: guild, yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, representing the stability
0: sector exclusively and effectively through our partnerships, engagement, and advocacy, members work together with key organizations and government policymakers for long-term stability and growth in the world's most unstable places.
3: Yeah, uh, as we said, the the short answer is mercenaries are boring now. Um, I'm Nick the- Dettroit, member of the IWW <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, they, They've gone from being Psycho shit to being psycho nerd shit
0: um, Just not cool anymore uh, The the soldiers of the coup So not the officers Were all given various sentences In Harare and Equatorial Guinea One uh, last name of um, Chimwishi was sentenced To 12 months imprisonment uh, when, And he has 3 sons and 5 daughters Aged between 11 and 32 And 6 infant grandchildren uh, to compensate his family uh the man's in britain uh has given uh the chimwishi family a token payment of 550 pounds
3: <laughs> one
0: xbox <What? laughs>
2: sorry this makes it all worth yeah. it Listen, sorry, You've gotta our-
3: sell a lot of cookies yeah. to make that kind of money <laughs>
0: sorry our idiot sons got you got you arrested in some kind of cockamamie effort to to do a coup because they were bored here's enough money to buy like Yeah, an Xbox and a couple of AAA games.
2: Here's a gift certificate to my used car shop (laughs) in in, in Yemen. So yeah,
0: that's that's the story of the abortive 2004 coup in Equatorial Guinea that I love to reference and have finally explained. Never, ever
3: hire English people to do anything. We all have... Some kind of deep national psychosis that will
0: ruin your plans. Um. So, Joe, I wanna I wanna throw back to you. What is What is your closing thought on this sordid s- sordid tale?
2: It's incredible, man. Like it, it's one of those things, especially after reading up on like you know the British East India Company and just, like the entire insane history of how the British Empire is spread, like. This is how that happened, but they try to do it in 2004. Like that's exactly what they' like. There's some inbred idiot aristocrat who is bankrolling everything, and a whole bunch of people that probably wore necklaces made out of random body parts, uh, and it, they just can't fucking do anything. It, it, it's like we already kind of combined it to like F-ing Stone's retreat from Kabul. but that's what that looks like. Except, like, but we all had cameras and like the internet, and it was they were so dumb that they got owned by some fucking birds. (laughs) Standing (laughs) in birds over Rhodesia
1: is outrageous.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's it's just amazing watching them attempt like such a throwback in an age of where like someone could very easily track your like plane movement on on the internet by your tail number. Mm.
0: Well, it's. I mean, if you if you say throwback, I think the way I understand this most is, it's it's just the Sopranos. It's the it's the it's Tony and the guys talking all their big game about honor among thieves, but then like always always backstabbing each other and running from the police as soon as they see them, and 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 f- just constantly failing to live up to this, telling themselves this story about the the about the Godfather and this sort of operatic tragedy of these these strong men who must be, who are responsible for these difficult decisions. It's it's a mountain
3: that one must climb because it's there. And it turns out the mountain is just, like, grimly flying a cargo plane between two places and, like, fucking up everything.
2: (laughs) That's great, because, like, you can see if if they were to write a book, like, if he was going to do, like, the Andy McNabb, write an SAS love story, and it was, like, it would look like the Expendables movie, but this is what the, that, that's how they picture themselves. Like we're getting too old for this shit, but we got one more left in the tank. But in reality, it's just some old washed up motherfuckers getting arrested at the airport or whatever. And we like having their plane canceled due to birds. And like, Oh got it failed again. I'm, I'm coming oh, back no, to, maybe next time. I'm
3: coming back to Mad Mike Hoare, here in that after the Seychelles coup, he, They had shot this customs guy, and they had escaped, and they were on the plane back to I think it was South Africa, and as they were trying to get rid of the evidence, he was like, he talked to the pilot of this, I I think, like just regular Boeing jet, and was like, okay, cool, can you open up the door so we can throw the guns out? And the guy just laughed in his face, and was like, have you been on a plane in the last 30 years? You can't do that shit! and You can't just open the doors anymore, man!
0: And that's like, that's the perfect metaphor,
2: you know? Yeah. The last contract I had with the Wright brothers said otherwise.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I have now had these, uh, hey, out there in podcast land, you could have listened to this in as many sittings uh, or with as much time in between them as you want. I've been here for now a couple of hours thinking about these clowns. Uh, So I think um, I'm going to say to Joe Kasabian from uh, Lions Led by Donkeys podcast, thank you so much for coming. And um, and sitting through this just incredible tale with us.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. I've I've been listening to the show for like a really long time, and I never thought I was, a- I was actually going to make it on. Uh, and I'm I'm glad that I can complete the Nate bethea universe. Circle. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're 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 now um you're now a character in the Nate bethea extended universe. Yeah. Um, on behalf of me, Yerk van
1: de Clerk, I'd like to thank my very good friend Father McMurphy for joining us. It's been an <laughs> absolute pleasure. <laughs> to finally talk about the way that simon man made me not in belfast has been nothing short of an honor
3: we're all going to take a long walk down an extremely well lubricated staircase
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes um and uh, as ever to our wonderful patrons we thank you for your ongoing patronage uh don't forget the usual stuff um comrade marcus braun is still incarcerated so he does need to be bailed out of Austrian jail. Yeah, Abolish B.A. Finn. Yeah. Abolish B.A. Finn. Um, otherwise, uh, T-shirts in the description. Listen to Well There's Your Problem. Listen to Lions Led by Donkeys. Listen to Hell of a Way to Die. Listen to 10K Post, The Boney Island, Whitefish, Britanology. We keep spo- We keep budding shows because we've been bored in quarantine.
1: Yeah, exactly.
3: Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's what we do instead of doing coups.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Hello, and welcome to Britanology.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: We're going to be talking about bra techniques. <laughs> You should. You really, actually, should just do
0: a whole podcast as uh, as Clerk <laughs> Vander Clerk and uh, Father McMurphy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Nate's just doing Bedelia. Do voice. an Afrikaner version of Britnology, and it would just be called Phrenology. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Whoa! Yeah. Whoa. All right. Uh, see you everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.